Hey folks and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing Funny People, directed by Judd Apatow, Captain Marvel by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. We have newly released The Marvels by Nia DaCosta, The Killer by David Fincher, and The Holdovers, directed by Alexander Payne. It is going to be a great show, folks, so stay tuned and enjoy. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Tom, how well, goes as it? I turn the music down. Here we go. <laughs> how you doing story. over there? <laughs> <laughs> how goes it, Tom? Uh, it's going okay for me. I'm excited for this week. Yeah? Actually, yeah. Okay. Because I watched two of the movies. Right. Well, one of them with you, as you yeah, know. Right. And, and watch, uh, you know, loosely. I yeah. went back and watched. Don't worry. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, yeah, good, yeah. Good. Go on okay. now. You know, okay. do it for the show. Do it for the podcast. Got to do it right. <laughs> Can't be on sleeping hours. Yes. Can't be sleeping on the job. I was with Vin on Saturday, and we decided to watch The Killers. Yeah, or The it, Killer. The Killer. Yeah. Right, The Killers is the, um, what's his face and the, the other face? The Killers is with, uh, <laughs> it's like a comedy hitman. Oh, really? With Ashton Kutcher. I thought you were going to say the, the, the pop rock band. No. The killer. I, <laughs> it was like Ashton Kutcher, I think. Oh, okay. Anyway, okay. anyway. Yes, we were watching, and then halfway through, you said, I, I can't believe, I can't believe you haven't fallen asleep yet. <laughs> so naturally, at some point, I fell asleep. But um, I came home and I finished it, actually. Oh, I just I just redid it up. Oh, nice. And, nice. Uh, yeah. And I also watched, there's a fight scene in it that I also like. Mm. And so I watched that again, too. For sure. For sure. But uh, no, so I'm all caught up on that. And then I watched Funny People as well. <laughs> so, Which I kind of just blindly said, hey, yeah, maybe watch it, you know, for the end of the appetite study. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad I watched it. Before I watched it, though. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. I brought my notes. Oh wow! Not just not just from the old noggin. Don't worry, I'm prepared. The old noggin. But no, how was your week of movies? How was it for you? Uh, I thought this was a good week. Uh, certainly excited to get some strong movies on here. I won't uh, give away the goat yet of which of the new releases there are. Uh, oddly enough, didn't really hate you know watching the two Marvel movies this week. It was kind of a really? little bit of a pl- palate cleanser. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I think um, oh. I, I really can't pin it down, but I think it was just that it was an easy watch. Yeah, um, and and maybe uh, next week with uh, the Hunger Games series will be a similar easy watch. <laughs> That's true. They are easy watches, and we haven't covered for all the series that we've covered this year. Mm. We haven't covered. I think Marvel. We've only had we had Ant Man, and then the third. Uh, what are they in the spaceship <laughs> with Groot? What is that one called? Uh, Guardians. All oh, Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Shit with Groot. And I think that was the. Um, that was the last one we did. I think that was May. Yeah. So it's actually yeah, yeah. been a, ro- a while since we touched on Marvel. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Which is nice. So I don't know. We'll see how we'll, we'll see how that nice. is. 
Because a lot of people are talking about that. For, that's oh, for sure. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, even even uh, pre uh, the release of this yeah. film, there yeah. was so much uh, industry buzz around. Uh, should Marvel pivot? Should Marvel take a break? Let me just rule that out right there, folks. That is not happening. It's the, not happening. The money machine does not stop. So, right, right. You know, maybe there'll be a strategic break on some of the connective tissue between these films, but I don't see the MCU stopping until it, it literally could, crashes we, and burns. We could, yeah, we could spend a whole podcast on that alone, <laughs> yeah. talking about the ins and outs of Marvel. Yeah, I'll yeah. say this. As far as pivoting, mm-hmm. it looks like that they're gearing up to do that. I believe yeah. they just went and they re-signed or negotiating with Robert Downey Jr. Oh. again and um, who played um, and Chris Evans Yeah, even though the, he was supposed to ta- pass the torch. Sure. You know? Sure. So, like I said, we can spend a long time on that but let's go ahead and jump in. This is our last film in the Judd Apatow yeah. study yeah. which is great. This is 2009's Funny People mm. featuring Adam Sandler, Joe Rogan, uh, Judd Apatow's wife, Leslie Joe Mann. Joe Rogan? What I'm sorry, you- sorry, Seth Rogan. <laughs> Seth Rogan. <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's probably going to happen multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get into it right away. We'll, maybe we'll ping pong back and forth a little bit. I definitely have some sure, thoughts on this sure, film. Sure, absolutely. Uh, how did you like Funny People? Uh, well, um, it's a hearty two hours and 26 minutes yeah. for Adam Sandler once again to make the audience say, oh, wow, he really can act as is fated to once ha- to happen every once uh, every five years or so. <laughs> Feels like a curse with Adam Sandler that uh, I have to hear someone say, oh, no, no, trust me, he really can act. You just got to watch it. I, I get it. I, you know what I mean? I, right. I don't need to be proven wrong on my Adam Sandler hatred. Uh, and sadly... <laughs> <laughs> it's there. It's just embedded. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, sadly, for this one... I'm going to come out and say the runtime really kills the whole thing for me, especially what surrounds the illness plotline. But smushed on the end, and I mean smushed on the end of this story, is a formulaic Apatow rom-com that we are well familiar uh, with now uh, at this point in the study. Uh, This leaves the films impossibly lopsided and once again sadly sunk uh, even the positive aspects for me, which I think in the first hour there are a lot of positive aspects here, Adam Sandler or not. Okay. What uh, what positives did you have exactly? Well, first I'll say my note right away, too long at two and a half hours. Yeah. Just way too long. Right. Um, and also feels sloppy in structure that all of a sudden there's a, you know, there's a priority the film has in the first hour, which is, I think, paying respect and uh, telling an authentic story around a terminal illness. Uh, I think the last hour and a half mm-hmm. it almost doesn't even resemble the same film and just feels so much of a tacked-on rom-com that... Probably was a comfort point for Apatow. Yeah. Uh, but just doesn't belong in the film. I, I don't think it belongs, and I also doesn't think it, it, it hits too much, too. Yeah. Like, my my big note was basically, I think the concept of this film, it's too big for its own good. Mm. Yeah. I think it's trying to cover way too much, and I think it's hurt because I kept on thinking, this either needs to be more funny, uh-huh. or this needs to just be more serious. Sure. Almost and, pick a lane. Right. And because the balance wasn't there. It felt mm-hmm. like a very awkward film. 
and not in a good way that you might want for a comedy. Sure, sure. And maybe it's intentionally a little awkward as well, uh, but uh, but absolutely, I agree. It, it just uh, more, more importantly, uh, the funny side of funny people wasn't that funny. No. Uh, and I feel like it's just dull. Jokes are dulled from the runtime. Now, uh, I think there's more. I was laughing more and enjoyed the, I enjoyed this more than 40-year-old version. Mm, really? Because I thought, I, and again, maybe it's because of just the memes that have endured. <laughs> from, from that from that film that the we saturation. all know. With this, I was like, I really knew nothing about this film. Okay, which was helpful. Yeah, uh, but there was moments at two and a half hours, and I thought not enough laughs. The laughs that did come, I felt punched a little bit harder. Mm, okay, um, fair enough. I, I mean, you know, it's the Eminem Ray Morano one for me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was like, forget about it. It sold me on that one. Yeah, for real. But Jonah real. Hill was a good character. There were yeah. some other good characters, but man, at two and a half hours, it's just. Yeah, it's just way too much. It's it's too big. Yeah, it's too big. Exactly. Uh, as far as the setup here, folks, Funny People is a drama comedy, further leaning into the vein of serious plots that have always kind of been present underneath the Apatow, uh, Apatow's comedy structure. Uh, if anything, the serious side of these stories is why he is worth studying in all of this writing study in the first place. Uh, it's it's why I feel like he was worth it versus um, a lot of the other comedic directors in the same time, no less, I think, also a success point for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam Sandler plays George Simmons, uh, who is really a self-insert character uh, as a stand-up comedian. He is an extremely jaded star, uh, long past many soulless movie deals that litter his home as mementos. He is uh, unceremoniously forced to the end of his career, however, with a tragic leukemia diagnosis. Gripping with this mortality, questions if that career may be ended long ago. He takes a, uh, a young stand-up wannabe, played by Seth Rogen, under his, uh, under his wing, mostly to act as an assistant and joke-writing slave. I don't know if these type of relationships exist for big comedians, that they just have a joke-writing slave or not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the joke-writing staff little... in general. Yeah. Not, not so much. It's working in the whole secretary <laughs> angle as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and the two of them spend the preceding weeks processing his sickness and ending his many famous and personal relationships. But within that, those personal relationships is a lost love with Leslie Mann uh, and is ultimately the target for where this story wants to go, uh, a rom-com rehash, basically. Uh, you know, I've, on the positive end, I think this movie is well-intentioned to tell an authentic heartwarming story around a terminal illness. It could literally be anything. It doesn't have to be, you know, cancer or leukemia specifically. It was truthfully what I was digging the most about the film. Hmm, Um, You know, for lack of a better word, these scenes have a... Uh, they're deeply fulfilling to see and have a catharsis for Adam Sandler, um, who uh, presumably we enjoy for watching this movie. <laughs> but it's far from what the story prioritizes, uh, because uh, all along this is setting up Adam Sandler to be kind of a, a shitty love partner uh, with one of his old flings. This pushes wonderful scenes to the back burner when you're looking at this film, you know, hindsight 2020. Uh, And it comes off like the script didn't have the confidence to close on its own premise Mm. of a star regrets uh, or stardom regrets and uh, and then and then facing mortality. 
not only does this uh, this this tacked on rom com at the end feel tacked on almost um, yeah. you know very obviously so it just it, it it kind of reeks of not having the confidence to close on what was going well and what I think was the strong point of the film. Yeah, it's uh, almost like if you're watching the film, no one was asking it. For yeah, that last hour, basically. Because exactly. it really starts out as drama buddy comedy. Yeah, sure. And then shifts into drama rom-com. Yeah, which are, which are two Which are different things. Absolutely. Buddy comedy, comedy and, I don't know, love comedy is different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the tone is uh, goes from something that, again, I enjoyed a lot, felt was authentic, trying to kind of tell a, a survivor story, if yeah. you will, and then just becomes same old, same old for Apatow. And uh, that's where I think uh, disappointment is, is really where I kind of come to uh, with funny people. On a pure, enjoy- a pure enjoyment level, Apatow and Sandler, I mean, they pull quite literally every famous per- person they could possibly get as a guest <laughs> spot. You know, this makes the praise I had for 40-year-old version, I mean, look like a baby, right, basically. Right. Uh, very early on, I feel like this did secure a positive impression from me watching this film because I think for any audience, uh, you know, one of these many guest spots are just going to hit, as with you with Ray Romano. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, that ought to hit for anybody. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I think you were laughing. I think uh, I wasn't laughing a lot with this film. Let's just say well, that. Okay, but, all right. Well, <laughs> I feel like Ray, Ray Romano might not be a name that you know Zoomers know or anything. I hate to say it. Come on. <laughs> I listen. This is why. Where is he in Hollywood? He was so good in The Irishman. <laughs> Here we go. The Irishman was going up again. I was convinced he was going to get calls. (laughs) The specter of the Irishman (laughs) that will haunt every episode of Marty Scorsese. (laughs) (laughs) I really hate to say it, but Mm -hmm. I, I, I think the comedic setup is just not great. Structure-wise, this splits in thirds of being a cancer drama, a dive into the comedy industry. Um, especially with the the fake stardom that Adam Sandler fits in, and then Apatow's you know typical rom com center. Like I mentioned, the the comedy industry side benefits from a lot. We have this alternate take, uh, alternate reality Adam Sandler. Um, there's just so many visual jokes in the fake movies he was in. I think there's a lot of enjoyment there. Yep. I, that that's where I got smiles and laughs yep. out of it. Yep, because uh, I definitely like visual comedy. In addition to the celebs I mentioned. Um, you know, this also allows them to use very early Adam Sandler footage, which adds, I feel, a layer of immersion. Uh, and again, presumably you're a fan of Adam Sandler watching this film, so I'm sure that's a, that's really enjoyable, uh, seeing that within the story. So I was expecting a lot from a movie that sets itself, self, sets itself within stand-up comedy mm-hmm. um, with, again, so much talent on screen. Yeah. Man, the bombshell here, folks, is that among the copious stand-up routines and joke-writing type of sessions or scenes in the film, none of them were really funny to me, like, at all. I would say, yeah, I would say a lot of them. Yeah. I would say quality of jokes, especially coming from Apatow writing, I would, I would really hope. There are so many penis jokes. <laughs> That's kind of none Seth Rogen's of, only thing. In this. None of them are all that funny, <laughs> yeah. and it's just one after another after another, and it's yeah. like, this is just laziness. Yeah. Like, this is just dumb at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, w- it wasn't to a caliber you did that you would really hope for. Yeah, uh, hope for, expect, and, and again, a layer of disappointment here. <laughs> you know, I, 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 if I'm being nice, I think they weren't outright bad, but I don't feel 
I, I smirked once at these routines. You know, this is disappointing in, in a huge way coming off of the improv-rich earlier work from Apatow. And I'm just baffled how he structured these so rigid in the edit. Yeah. Why would you not just... Even if even if Sandler or, or, or Rogan aren't up to doing stand-up comedy, uh, why don't you have these secondary, you know, floating characters? Sure, sure. Just go and then cut the best parts of it uh, in the edit. It feels like there's, I, I don't know, uh, there's just uh, so much that yeah. just there's is a, not it's a weirdness. Funny. It's, a, it's a weirdness there. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. There might be some explanation in uh, this for our characters. For instance, Seth Rogen is just starting out, so it makes sense that he's maybe bad. Uh, but you can see him progress. Yeah. Like his bits do get better. So Confidence-wise. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I thought that was good to see that they at least did something with that. Yeah, yeah. But still, yeah. Yeah. right. <laughs> I, I think it doesn't count as a good excuse because if you know, it is a comedy. It's it's yeah. it's designed to be funny. It does, however, add to what might be my least favorite Seth Ro- Rogen performance. Uh, not Joe Rogan, Seth Rogen. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I just a, a real wet paper towel of a character and performance from Seth, wow. and uh, and that's literally on every level that he just cannot stand next to Adam Sandler's dominance. Wow. Okay, like in the story, on screen as the performance, I just I wasn't about it at all. Uh, I, I don't know what your thoughts on I, Seth. I, I kind of completely disagree. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought this was one of his better roles. <laughs> wow. And I okay. thought because – because I, I, I don't love this movie. I'm not walking sure. away from this loving this movie. Sure. I thought he did a good job at having to navigate mm. this kind of mess of a film a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, when I say – I think this film thinks it's too – it's just too big for its own good. Mm-hmm. I think Seth Rogen does a good job at navigating the waters, dealing with multiple characters, yeah. and going up against it. Adam Sandler. I did not like Adam Sandler in this film. <laughs> yeah. What we're looking for when it comes to also like, his character is the trajectory for his character I know. is kind of terrible. And I like, kept on thinking, like, is this guy is Adam Sandler really playing into his character? Is he really mm-hmm. playing into Adam Sandler? Right. Right. Like, I, 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 it's just weird. It was an awkward. And it was that's where I bring up. It was just awkward. I like seeing Seth Rogen more than I did Adam Sandler mm-hmm. because I felt actually like Seth Rogen was just a consistent character. Sure. That I was I was at Wait, least, with Sandler it's all over the place. I could right, I could be tethered to, to Rogen. Sure. Um again not loving it because not loving the film overall and mm-hmm. overall how the plot goes and how it's set up. It's it's you know, it's not like my big laughs came from Rogen or anything yeah. like that. It came from I like James so Taylor <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. That was kind of that was stuff. pretty good, yeah. And that's where I think again it, that's where like uh my praise for forty old version, this this dwarfs that. Uh, I mean, right, there's yeah. so many guest spots to it, and uh, I think largely they all work. And it's just them, you know, pulling on these friends. I think on a bright side, uh, we get a surprising performance from Leslie Mann, uh, where she's just kind of, uh, for at least me, effortless, effortlessly funny. That that's where. I don't know if Apatow was maybe scrambling in the in the in the writing process of this and saying, "Oh, well, I, I don't know where to take this, or I don't know how to make a meaningful close for Sandler's character. Hmm. Let me just throw in my wife." You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, if there's any reason to continue the study, I think it's to get to this is forty for one more time with her and the two real kids that her and Apatow have, which again on screen I think 
there's kind of a, an effortless comedy that comes with it. Mm-hmm. More than anything here, folks, um, it is just way, way, way too long. The runtime dulls, so many jokes, and again, the schm- the schmush, the, uh, <laughs> the two sides of this, uh, of this movie co- become more and more apparent as it runs on, uh, especially in the conclusion, which just almost even forgets some of the yeah. first half, yeah. you know? Uh, and what I thought was a meaningful story, you know? Uh, it doesn't really have a lot to say. It's sad to see Ap- the Apatow study go out on a whimper, but I-, I think it's even more telling how close all of these movies were in my own scoring of them. Uh, all of these within like 15 degrees or so. Um, what I would like the takeaway to be for all of you listening is that if the comedy works better for you, say more in the 70s or, uh, or something like that on your own scale, then Apatow's consistency should slide all of these up, Adam Sandler or not. We're going to go ahead and give <laughs> funny people a 57. Ooh, 57, yep, man. Yep. Okay, not loving it. Not loving this it. This is, I think, maybe the lowest scoring one we have. Yeah, out of the Apatow, it is. and um, I think for good reason. Yeah, initially I was disappointed because I was kind of looking at this movie and not bummed out by it, but I was like, man, this, this writing study, I, I can't call it like a, a raving success. But I, I, I think... Again, it, it, it's it, what I would like the takeaway to be is that if these comedies hit better, yeah, Apatow is a mark for quality, nonetheless. You know, it's, Con- it's a consistency, consistency, yeah. Um, and I think that quality, some would some would call it quality, right, right. And you know, some others, I don't know, might not call it so much quality. <laughs> I think we're very much on the same page. It kind of makes sense that you have it lowest too, because one, you're not. Uh, a Sandler fan. He's mm, also yep. in a weird role, but also you didn't like Seth Rogen's role too much. <laughs> right, yeah. And yeah. that's the film, essentially. <laughs> exactly. Uh, like I said, I actually did like Seth Rogen's role. I thought he just he just navigated the genres that he had to deal with. Mm. Okay, so mm-hmm. that was fine. And the only other thing I had, I was watching, it was the end of it, and I was just like, I think in another dimension, this film might be a masterpiece. <laughs> But in this dimension that we're in, it's not <laughs> at yeah, all. Yeah, uh, and it's made just in another world. I think it could really hit. But... Maybe in Adam Sandler's like fake uh, star role, like uh, in the world uh, that he's this this character. No, this is <laughs> this is click. Oh, okay. Click is what at some point we'll have to watch because wow. I would replace if you watch this film because you're oh there's some seriousness going on. We yeah, ha- we have some reflections, uh-huh. things like that, but also a comedy. Throw this in the trash can. Go watch Click. <laughs> wow. So I haven't watched Click in years, but I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I can't say I, I've ever fully so, seen well, it because it's the one I always want you to watch because <laughs> I think that might be the one. That's, but this that's is definitely no like gemstones or the the uh, or uncut gems. Yeah, it's yeah. nothing like that when it comes to his acting. Sure. Or or even what we saw with the uh, the basketball movie that uh, again similar talking points. Oh of, yeah. Oh my oh, god. Oh, you got to give Adam that. Sandler a, ch- a chance. He can really act in this. Right. You know, what I mean, it's like a. Audience listening at home, Vin's <laughs> sick of hearing it. <laughs> but okay, 57 for funny people. I'm not going to give it a uh, thing. Uh, no, ju- I, no, I, no two shoes. You, uh, you, you're doing all this work for no, for no juice. <laughs> all the squeeze for no juice. Don't worry, I got one coming up. Don't worry. Because the rules always saw one together. That's the rule. Yeah, okay, yeah. let's go. This is a very like, new episode here as far as... Yeah, like, yeah. We're, already, we're in 2019. Mm-hmm. We're doing Captain Marvel because you, you paired it with the Marvels. But yeah. let's get into it a little bit. Set up the story for us. 
introduce a character, sure. and how'd you like it? Sure. Well, well I, I think the real question is, um, why dig up the hatchet? Why, you know, beat a dead horse with this film? <laughs> um, this movie on release was dragged, and I mean dragged, by the internet for either mediocrity or uh, <laughs> unjustified vicious hatred of Brie Larson um, yeah. on release. Yeah. Uh, and uh, all of it in between peak releases of Infinity War and Endgame. I don't let other people make my opinions or do my job for me, so uh, I legit haven't seen this movie, and I, I am glad oh, I okay. watched this because it does matter quite a bit to the Marvels, as you know, it does not not the same name. It really and, is Captain Marvel to the Marvels. So, oh, for sure, yeah. for sure, yeah. Which and, I honestly didn't know. I feel like there was there was so much else MCU content that it was pulling from for the Marvels. I, I didn't know oh, okay. if this was going to really. Matter. All right, I, I was in the assumption of that because they need to keep the character alive. Mm. She's only one film yeah they need to keep it going absolutely but, but this comes just repeat that again this was directly in between which infinity films? war and endgame and that was the only new character introduced as we had the big setup coming exactly right? yeah the, the endgame teaser uh or, or not the end the the end of credits teaser was for captain marvel and infinity war yeah okay and of course a you know a pivotal figure for that uh for coming back in endgame so yeah uh, folks despite this being the film to kill stan lee himself uh i needed to see how this character was used uh beyond being kind of a deus ex machina pulled out of their ass for phase three and uh now it is the dearly missed phase three <laughs> that, that's really my takeaway is is reflecting on man how good did we have it <laughs> in compared to some of the some of the lows of four and uh, phase four and five um captain marvel is a military pilot named carol danvers who under a freak accident, absorbs powers that let her manipulate energy and light, becoming one of Marvel's most powerful heroes, period. This movie tries to shuffle the well-played-out origin story formula that effectively hasn't changed since Raimi's Spider-Man in 2002. Instead of uh, ramping up to get her powers, we start smack dab in the middle of her kicking ass while we untangle her memories. That's right, folks. It's... Come on down, amnesia. Man. Really? Like proper amnesia? Or? Oh, proper amnesia. Okay, okay. I mean, like, amnesia in the way that I was actually watching it and so numb to the amnesia plot point that I was like, Oh yeah, she does have amnesia. I, it didn't even set in for me. That's how like I, I horse blinders were on with this plot if, trope. If you're new to the podcast, folks, <laughs> yeah, you're establishing a lot of and, ground rules. Here. Amnesia is a bit of a bugaboo when it comes yeah. to Finn. Adam yeah. Sandler and amnesia, <laughs> two things you don't want to see in an episode. <laughs> right? Yeah. For I real. think last time we had it was in uh, was in. The uh, the racing movies, man. I can't think of anything for shit oh, this week. Oh, uh, Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious. Yeah. <laughs> the the racing movies. That's what we're gonna call the eleventh one. Oh, uh, back to the racing movies. But uh, I didn't realize that that was a big plot point in this uh, this one first one. Yeah, and it's a product of them trying to mix things up. I certainly can respect it being a little bit different or trying to shuffle things a little bit. But when you're 
your tool to get that done is something so cliche as amnesia, you know, that, that's where I turn it off. Yep, yep. So, uh, admittedly, uh, the story does have a fun sci-fi spin and uh, plays with how information is revealed to us. Uh, showing us the Star Force is a dive into space-themed Marvel stories, which previously were only handled by the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, or what, what did you say? Whatever those group movies are. <laughs> There's a ship group, you know. Ship and group movies. <laughs> a new subgenre. <laughs> this movie also has slight sprinklings of espionage for its driving po- uh, plot. Set up behind the scenes uh, is the Kree versus the Scroll. Two alien races in a cold war where nothing is as it seems. The scroll, having a very powerful ability, such as um, changeling powers to morph into anyone, and memory diving technology to seal the deal on um, slipping into any planet. So, villain-wise, I think it's there. Sci-fi-wise, I think it's there. You getting Trekkie vibes at all from this? Uh, I wish more. Uh, okay. I wish more, but I think it's it. I, I was I was positive at least on the sci-fi aspect because the only sci-fi that we get uh, in MCU otherwise are with it's, the Guardians, Guardians movies, and yeah. that's so defined by uh, James Gunn's vision with that. So okay. Not okay. bad by any means, but um, so so specific to his style. Yeah. So uh, the burden of Phase of Three is heavy. However, this again is positioned. I mean, it has to fit the lore. It has to kind of have a utility to it. Otherwise, people would have said, you know, why bother at all? You yeah. Know, why definitely. am I watching this off, you know, a tangent story when the end of the story is happening? Uh, and uh, many a thread must be tied together, stripping us from the fun space times. Uh, Captain Marvel must explore her own origins on Earth. This means the setting takes place in the 90s before most MCU events, giving us plenty of throwback characters, references, Easter eggs, you name it. Uh, blockbuster, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's all over. You might think the de-aged Samuel Jackson uh, is what upsets me most here. Uh, wrong. Uh, it's the fact that we once again get fish out of water jokes, and it's like the same card that's being played since Thor 1. Uh, these fish out water a lot jokes. of other movies. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It's, yeah, it's very. Even though, is it fish out of water because of the amnesia? Fish out of yeah. Because she's yeah. like she was born in the world, in right? Earth, right? She okay. has amnesia, and, and it was after her, a freak accident, right? Her short term memory is being a space cop, basically. Right. right okay. So it's just. Eh. I just find it so played. been there, done that. It's yeah, so exactly. played out. So played out. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it, it, within the same type of notes of you know, hey, they, they may be trying some interesting things here to shuffle things mm-hmm. up. Uh, you know, the breath right after it is uh, oh, but it's still the same jokes. Yeah, you know or, I mean, the same result, the like, same experience. And if you have to show, I, I, I just so much want to be like, we get that you have new person, a new environment, a yeah. person, a new environment. It doesn't need that doesn't mean it needs to be the punchline. Yeah. You know, we don't need to have them super competent at everything right away. Sure. Because if that's, you know, suspends belief a little bit, mm-hmm. but it doesn't need to be the punchline. Yeah. It could be more background, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> For real. For real. <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately. Um, uh, surprisingly, I don't think. Uh, a lot of this is Brie Larson's fault. I'll get to what I think about her acting for the new one, but uh, it's all in the writing here where this movie sucks and where these movies suck, unfortunately. They try to switch things up with Carol having slick banter with uh, Agent Fury, and largely it just feels annoying or just lame. The palette of jokes doesn't get much better. You know, it leans heavily on that 90s nostalgia, basically bombing every other scene. And, of course, uh, (laughs) 
the copious cat jokes uh, that uh, haunt both of these films like a ghost from meme past. Oh, yeah, it's, I forgot about that. Yeah, the, the low-hanging fruit of uh, lull internet cat jokes in these movies were just, um, it just man. Which cat jokes, uh, it's like, that's 2008, 2010 right. internet. Exactly. Not, tw- not 2019. It's, it's, it's the ghost from meme past. That's this really is bad. Not, yeah, this, uh, even in 2019, I mean, like, what? Yeah. Like, cat jokes? <laughs> yeah, so. Actually, Marvel's really bad at that. You look at Thor, Love, and Thunder mm. with, like, the goats. Oh, sure, absolutely. And cats. I think also with cats, too. Yeah, sometimes. maybe. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's just surprising because uh, <laughs> I mean for the for the columns the pillars to hold up what these movies are about and kind of define themselves within the MCU. Right, cat jokes are one of the main ones. <laughs> it's like okay, all right, that's what we're doing. Uh, honestly, folks, I was originally going to be a little harder on this, uh, but it was only after seeing its sequel uh, did I realize how good we might have had it before <laughs> Phase Four of the MCU. <laughs> um, you know, only since covering the MCU on the podcast do I regularly give uh, super low scores for these movies or certain ones uh, like Love and Thunder. You know, I, I was worried that might be because I had to look at these films differently, but this movie was an eye opener, not for breaking mediocrity, but for, once again, how good we might have had it not too long ago. We're going to go ahead and give Captain Marvel 2019 a 54. Okay, 54. Yeah. Um, Acceptable. Acceptable. (laughs) I don't think that's being too harsh, and I think that fits really well with kind of, we don't say much, but Marvel schlock Mm. a little bit. And I really think that there is a lot of it. We're going to get more of it. Mm. It's tough to stay. One thing I wanted to bring up when we touch on the Marvels here is how, as a critic, is it easy to look at a film for just the film, Mm. or do you have that MCU fatigue that I think so many people are feeling? Because one thing with the Marvels is, obviously, it's not doing well. It's getting bad reviews. Mm, But that being said, what if this came out four years ago or six years ago? You know what I mean? It's hard to look at a film for just a film when Mm -hmm. we've been hit over the head. Yep. With Marvel, it's it's really tough to say uh, because even even with me saying that this is kind of just blandly acceptable, mm-hmm. it's still with the hindsight that I'm thinking about the successful movies in Phase Three. Right, I'm right. thinking about the larger picture here. For me, more than anything, though, uh, I think my comic book fan brain uh, rises above, uh, and that if something really works and something is scratching or, or true to the comic experience, like how when you see Infinity War and Endgame back to back, it's like reading like an actual Avengers comic and how crazy it gets and how out there it gets. You like those movies, yeah. Exactly. This film just has too much homework to do. Uh, It has uh, marching orders to tie in everything that potentially happened in the 90s to the MCU so it actually feels worthwhile to watch it. And in actuality, you know, I saw Endgame without seeing this. Yeah, no, (laughs) for sure. So, uh, yeah, it turns out the homework was not required. (laughs) All right, so a 54, 54 Four percent for Captain Marvel. I like it. <laughs> you want it lower? No, I'm just because I'm <laughs> I'm processing all the stuff that we've covered down in the past and yeah. how not hot we've been with sure. Marvel and what's been coming out. Yeah, and I think Captain Marvel. Okay, I mean because 54 is. Eh. 
Yeah, you know? I, I, I think if I really had to go through all of the MCU rather than the the the, the sprinklings of right, it, you yeah. know, on 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 our on our website and whatnot, it's funny you bring up Fast and Furious because I feel like a lot of these just kind of hit in the fifties where it's like, yeah, it's acceptable. You know what I mean? Maybe right, it gets right. something a little bit right. You know. Yeah. Uh, two real quick questions. One, Ben Mendelsohn is in it, who I yeah. love. <laughs> really? You bad... love? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's a hard to Strong word, but yes. Two was... declared loves for Ray my Romano. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go, ben, Ben's my boy. I haven't brought up my boys in a while. Uh, yeah, yeah. They haven't been around. Um, <laughs> but Ben, I like. Does he play a bad guy in this? Yeah, he plays, he? he plays the lead scroll, uh, which is cool. And, and also actually reprises his role in the Secret Invasion uh, show with Sam Jackson. So. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Whatever that is, okay. Um, <laughs> and the second thing, 2009 MCU CGI. How are we looking? Uh, not bad. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, again, I that's that's again where I was reflecting on it and be like, oh wow, maybe when they weren't cracking the whip on their uh, CGI teams and weren't pumping them out, uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe a half second uh, to just breathe uh, made this a little better. So. Okay, cool. That's one of the comments. I think it was one or two weeks ago in the newsletter. I did a bit of a write up on yeah. the, just the, tr- the troubles sure. that is MCU that's happening over yeah. there in Marvel. Mm-hmm. And one of the big things was because they have so many projects now. Even mm-hmm. though it seems like films might be coming a little bit slower, yep. it's all the shows as well. Absolutely. And their in house animation team is is struggling to Buckled. keep up. And it's actually um, hurting quality because they need to be faster. Yeah. I, I was reading uh, stories when. Quantumania came out mm. and there was end credits or something like that. Mm-hmm. The reports I was reading were audience were audibly gasping of how bad the CGI was because they needed to just they it needed to be rushed so much. So it's it like the Flash. It's a lot going. On. Well, yeah, you yeah, that, really had some issues yeah, that's, there. That's an audible gasp for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so before we get to our three new movies this week, folks, we just want to remind everybody that we are completely producer supported here at the Daily Ratings. Uh, basically, what that means is. Vin and I are not doing uh, corporate advertising, so we're not going to sit here and pitch products that we actually don't care about, and then we pretend to care about them. We're not going to have a bunch of banner sites or pop-up ads on the site because it's just going to bog it down. The site's it, real clean. It's a very clean site. Yeah, yeah it's pretty slick for for. It's kind know, of an anomaly on like, on, on the internet. It actually. feels weird. Yeah, I remember it feels going weird on when you go on. I went on it once, and I was like, "Man, I don't know. Does our website look good?" And I'm just like, "Oh, it looks great. There's no ads. <laughs> right, you got right. used to five ads being yeah. popped up right away, or the super obnoxious dragged." down ads now as so as you scroll it fills the dead <laughs> I space i mean oh my god i know and they're, they get really good that the the uh the x when they try to cam- oh, camo sure. that and you're just sitting <laughs> yeah. there looking for it for sure so like i said so we are producer supported and the idea is are you getting value from what what we're doing here so we do the podcast once a week. We have the newsletter once a week. We have the the, the companion website to go along with mm-hmm. all this as well. Are you getting any value in that? Are you enjoying listening and is it fun? Are you having a good time hanging out every week? Are you legitimately into film than what you were before you started listening? Are you making your own movie list based on what we're talking about here every sure. week? That's value in your pocket. We ask, can you give us some value back in our pocket? You go to thedailyratings.com, you go to the donations tab, and through your monetary support, you become an actual credited producer of The Daily Ratings. When you send in money, you can also write it a note, and we're going to read it right here in this segment of the podcast. So whether you have questions, comments, critiques, uh, movie-related, not movie-related, just me and Vin related, uh, whatever you want to say, if you're taking the time to throw some cash our way, we're going to respect that. Oh, we're happy to read it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Regardless of the content. Would I mean, I- maybe, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's some, but no, we're, we're happy to read, uh, you know, a, a, whatever you're feeling, and um, especially when it comes to, like, scores and ratings and whatnot, you got a bone to pick. 
like, listen, that's the time to, to air it out. And we're going to read it. It's, yeah. it's a great through line to you. Yeah, you know? yeah. The whole idea with value for value, it's, it's not like uh, it's not like Patreon where it's you need to give $5 or need to give 25 or need to give 50 It's whatever you want. So we do have a weekly and some monthlies. Uh, we have some funny one-time donations if you want to do like buy Vin a movie ticket or the Godfather donation. But the biggest thing is we have a value for value donation that you can do. And it's literally, what are you feeling? A lot of money to this person might be a little bit or way too much for this person. Uh, everyone's different. Everyone's on their own, you know, has their own finances going on. So anything that you could give us or willing to or whatever you're finding value, we appreciate it so much. There's no paywalls here or anything like that. It's all here for free. We just ask uh, if you're enjoying it, if you can show us how much you're enjoying it. That's a value for value model. That's how you become a producer. It's at dayratings.com. With the newsletter, by the way, if you want to sign up for it, it's at the bottom of the uh, any page of the website. Put in your name, your email, and you're good to go. I'm going to start – I'm expanding the newsletter, making it a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. It's going to start coming out every other week is the big one. On the off weeks then, you're still going to get what Films Vin is going to be having coming up and also the weekend box office because mm. people really like that segment. Oh, good, good. Excellent. So, um, so just to let you know, again, down at the bottom of the website if you want to sign up for that, that'll be the big one every other week. And then, But like I said, you'll still get the, the deets for the, for the week of. So, All right, folks. So we're going to keep it going here, Vin. Let's go ahead and jump right away into the Marvels. Uh, it's... There's so much news around this. I would say let's just jump into the film right away. Okay. How, how was it returning with this character? We have new characters coming in as well. How did you enjoy the Marvels? I think it has it had the opportunity to do something really unique uh, and uh, exciting even. Like so much of uh, Phase 4 and 5 uh, just just falls flat, uh, unfortunately. Why did you um, – real quick, why did you think you had so much going for it? Uh, I, I think I think the premise of this like uh, uh, quantum entanglement, this uh, uh, as these characters use their powers, they swap in position. Okay. Um, that was a, a fun premise, uh, and I feel like it does pay off in the film for a time, and then kind of just like uh, becomes a non. Okay. Non, you know, the very premise of it is just a non-issue. So, folks, this movie incorporates a lot of MCU homework. I mean a lot. I'm going to call this a intermediate level. Uh, <laughs> the reading level is uh, is not a breeze. You got to test into this shit right here. Uh, they, they actually quiz you as you're walking up to the theater. So uh, effectively, you ready? Buckle in. Time. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm ready. Effectively, you need Captain Marvel 2019 what we'll call endgame awareness. Uh, on the streaming front, you need WandaVision, Miss Marvel, of course, uh, and finally Secret Invasion that just dropped. Uh, this doesn't even begin to consider the disparaging quality varying from each of these titles. Um, for yeah, instance, yeah. some people hated Secret Invasion. I didn't check it out. And uh, anywhere in between. You know, not only does this have a tall MCU order, uh, the worthiness of being caught up and read up isn't that rewarding anymore, despite more content than ever. Uh, I have to come clean and say I'm falling short of a fair amount of that homework there. Uh, I did not not do my summer reading, Um, especially streaming-wise, but I would like to revisit a superpower that I have. (laughs) Let's go Wikipedia, what? (laughs) Folks, I have what I call 
A-N-K. And the greatest news is that you might not, you might have it too. Uh, approximate nerd knowledge. Oh, ha- yes. <laughs> yeah. We haven't talked about this in a while. Right, exactly. This is a, this is a we're, good... We're learning a lot here. Yeah, good jump-off episode. <laughs> we've got a lot covered. What I jokingly refer to as approximate nerd knowledge is, is basically just having some sort of general awareness as a product of being a nerd about literally anything long enough. Uh, it can be anything. And I really mean that. And in this case, I just happen to have it with comic shit. So, so much so I can tell you without seeing anything in Miss Marvel that Miss um, Marvel is a character that is a superhero fan in universe, and uh, how normally she has stretchy Mister Fantastic powers, but they switch it to hard light based powers in her show. Hard light, like lasers. Uh, yeah, like uh, her manipulation of light uh, becomes like crystalline. Uh, so okay, uh, and actually like physical. Okay, so, okay. Again, without watching the show, I have these awareness of it. So I think I think without doing the homework, uh, you know, I don't know about a pass. No, no, you're. I, I think you're, I can hang with it. Yeah, you're yeah. MCU adjacent. Yeah, there you go. There you <laughs> go. You, you might not speak it, but you understand it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the Marvels uh, are a team comprised of uh, three similar. Similarly powered superheroes, specifically around controlling light in different ways. We have Carol Denvers, uh, reprised by Brie Larson, having a devastating control of energy. Monica Rambeau, played by Teona Paris, uh, who last time we saw in They Clone Tyrone. Uh, using mm-hmm. the spectrum of light? I don't really know. <laughs> it's a little unclear, a little muddy in, in her powers. And, of course, the kid hero, Kamala Khan, reprised by Ayman Vellani, having our mentioned hard light powers. Um, these shared powers land the three of them in a, once again, type of quantum entanglement that causes them to warp into each other's spots, regardless of how dangerous that might be. I have to admit, this gimmick, you know, it made for some really fun and creative fight scenes. Um, Okay, okay. That's where I think the payoff was. And, you know, obviously they have to come together as a team. It is a Avengers-style setup in the sense it's about building a team. Yeah. So, um, you know, the warping gets less and less drastic. But the first act is really fun seeing how far they're going to take this idea. Um, Best thing I can explain to you for Marvel fans is... How adventurous Loki season one felt with how out there they were going with the time stuff. Here, it's like this warping. It's like you're watching for the first act or so. And and I personally was saying to myself, wow, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see how far they're going to take yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Um, without a doubt, the best moment of the film comes right as they are realizing what is happening. And we get a great fight scene in Kamala's domestic Jersey City house, uh, which is pretty great. Uh, I, was, I was really surprised and pleasantly surprised by this. Okay, all right. So, for story reasons, there is a choice to replace Lashana Lynch with Teona Paris. Uh, for uh, the character Photon. Uh, which this was something I was sad to see uh, for multiple reasons, mainly because we saw uh, Lashana Lynch uh, play this role in as a, as a tease in Doctor Strange 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lashana is a great actress. Uh, I really enjoyed her in uh, the most recent Bond. I enjoyed her actually in Woman King, probably the, the main saving That's part right. of Woman King. She's got King. a cool vibe about her. Yeah, yeah, she really does. I don't think many will care, but it's important to keep something in mind, folks. The MCU has run 
dry. And like the real comics, we will see others fill the mantle of heroes that have been wrapped up between Multiverse of Madness, Loki, and uh, especially the scandals uh, with uh, in real life with Jonathan Major, which... He's out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it looks even promising uh, legality-wise with whatever's going on there. He's out, though. He's too, it's too muddy. It's too it's murky. It's too muddy. Real quick, just to touch on that, mm-hmm. I say just get another guy and keep Kane. Oh, uh, Kang. Kang, the conqueror. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, I mean... He was in one film. Exactly. Like a little bit. Right, right. What happened to the days that Batman could be anyone you know, within like the Burton movies? Like it's, yeah, I mean, it's, like, I, it's not ideal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I go straight... <laughs> I'm sorry for this. I go straight from Major League One and Major League Two, <laughs> where... Um, uh, I'm not read up on that either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who plays... Um, oh, God. Again, with the names today. Who's uh, Blade... Oh, uh, Wesley Snipes. Yeah, Wesley Snipes, who was in one. They trade him for. Uh, Omar. Oh, really? They trade him in for Omar Epps. Oh, that right there. I'm not watching. I'm not watching. No, he, but he does Snipes. a good job. Yeah, okay. honestly, it's almost like you're watching Wesley Snipes again. Omar okay. Epps does a good job. Yeah, okay. So do that with the, <laughs> with, <laughs> with, with Kang. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, they're well, running dry. They're running dry. I feel like it's just this one where they flirted with these ideas before. Yeah, this one they're they're leaning a little bit more deliberately into flexible actor slots, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. I would much rather flexible actor slots, uh, someone to fill Iron Man, someone to fill Captain uh, America, as they're kind of doing already, doing, yeah. uh, without re-signing these actors. I feel like tying it to the actors, it's an old-fashioned way of thinking. I feel like um, that that choice shows how much they're scrambling to go back to more of like an 80s style, like, oh, we need this, this lead star. Uh, it's the IP. It's always been the IP with comics. I, I get that, but I feel like since this 2008 taking over you know disney taking over of marvel mm. the characters and are the actors the actors are the characters at this point yeah i think when we finish up this phase five or seven whatever we're at mm-hmm. you know after we have our last kind of avengers film mm-hmm. when there naturally needs to be a reboot a rebranding yeah. that's when i think mix it up a little bit sure i, I think right now where, where marvel at is we all it's way too much characters are the actors and the actors are the characters still mm-hmm. But I don't know. No, is that just me? Or? I, I think the the uh, the proof of that is in that if they are really positioning uh, bringing back uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, well, and yeah, and I think they're 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 hopeless. Exactly. But but in the world where everything's all good, mm-hmm. in my in my opinion, I think you need to get through this. Wait for reboots, mm. and then when you're starting fresh, start with a fresh batch of characters. Sure. Sure. That's that's where my head goes to right away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think I agree with that. Uh, it's more so. Uh, who knows how it's going to play? I out. know it's a shit show. Yeah, no, yeah. it really is. So uh, normally we don't talk about you know casting decisions this much, but I feel like again this film makes a conscious decision towards it. And uh, I think it really is on the horizon a lot with this. Sadly, that is uh, about all the nice things I have to say about this. And uh, though I might not spend as much time on it, um, the movie is peppered with bad qualities that are almost too many to list. Uh, I'll touch on the villain who is uh, baffling uh, a rehash of the bad guy in Guardians 1. I think Ronan uh, was his name. I I thought it was one of the weakest threats I have seen in one of these movies in a while. Oh, really? Uh, visually, conceptually, uh, action-wise, performance, I mean, like... Just everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Brie Larson's character of of uh, Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. isn't, like, the big problem people have with her is just, like, she is the most powerful thing? 
Uh, she's super powerful. Like, she's like a Superman level, yeah, uh, right. top of the top, for I just, sure. I would assume that we're dealing, I would just assume they were going to throw in like a big baddie uh, reaches yeah. into the comics. You right, know? right. Um, uh, and honestly, I don't know uh, Captain Marvel lore enough to say what is her main villain. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's definitely not whoever, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, if you held a gun to my head, I could not tell you the, the name of this villain. Uh, and, and probably might, might let you kill me just in the sense that I do not want to watch this movie again. Uh, worst of all, she is visually just a brute on screen. Uh, this feels like going back to like Phase One of Marvel. That like the villains were nothing; they were just like right, uh, yeah. uh, last act oppositions. Um, she's got a big dumb hammer and uh, that can do it all. The, the hammer does everything, and it's just a total snoozer. Her plan is basically opening up warp gates to steal ozone for her dying planet. And not only is that asinine. Oh. But her motivations are told off screen as well. <laughs> uh, and this is where I was like, that, I, that's laziness. Yeah. That's bad writing. Right, right. And, and believe me, I, I, I needed to make sure this is where I was like, I did not want to miss anything like this sure, if I yeah, didn't yeah. watch Captain Marvel 1. That there's a story that is set up in Captain Marvel, the trajectory of it, yeah. and it's basically told in like a little montage. It's, and it's like so weak. Yeah, two problems with that. One, you got to build backstory because we got to care and understand the motives <laughs> yeah. of the bad guy. That's one. Two, yep. be careful with port with portals. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget Conan O'Brien talking about the first <laughs> Avengers movie or something like that, and he had a, he like walked out and he was like, "I don't do portals." Really? Because once when you. <laughs> <laughs> Once when you do portals, what are the rules to the game? Oh, Because okay. now anything can happen. <laughs> like, it's off the rails Interesting. completely. Interesting. Um, That's a I'll pretty early that. uh, jumping off point for Conan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> as far as Avengers 1. There's also massive detours in the plot that uh, really feel confusing moment to moment of what's going on. Um, yeah, moment to moment, I was really saying to myself, like, what? Like, wait, what's happening? Uh, this is different than the usual MCU formulaic critique, which I suppose could be applauded, but uh, instead we get a kitchen sink of mm. ideas and jokes. You know, something really is missing in the literacy of this story. Uh, this is beyond anything with the MCU homework. Out of the three goddamn writers on this, I think, <laughs> believe it or not, they needed another set of eyes just to read over it and be like, hey, does this make sense? It's not, it, it's not, that's not surprising at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, without a doubt, uh, these detours are shown. Uh, in an entire subplot around cat jokes, uh, feeling just as dated, if not more. And I kid you not, a musical planet where the only language is song, uh, which I think that's where a lot of this internet chatter you might have interacted with. I, there's a uh, lot of hatred for this music planet. Okay. I actually didn't hear about that. I, there was a lot of other hate, too, out there. Okay, sure, sure. <laughs> sure. It's funny because I, I don't know. I can't imagine that the writing team is – I don't want to let anybody off here. Mm. I can only assume that the writing team is really bad. Yeah. But uh, from my understanding as well, mm-hmm. Kevin Feige, Feige. Uh, Feige and his like upper echelons, the team, mm-hmm. were so disappointed with the final product that they, he did some serious post-editing stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, and that's very him. Mm. The project will be completed. He'll go in and make it how he wants almost. Interesting. And there was a lot, a lot with this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. They were just like apparently the the original product not good. I I almost want to say I want to see that because what 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 strikes a nerve with me is that again the idea for Ant Man one was Edgar Wright doing an Ant Man mm. heist. Oh film. my god, yeah. Uh, so that you know, it's long gone. Right, right. That energy. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I guess I guess this director she did. Um, I think she had something in involvement in the Candyman uh, remake. Okay. Um, that came out of um, I don't know if it was Blumhouse or not, but I heard <laughs> decent things. What, so, uh, so, so what what is your take on the whole, especially with this film, the whole like M M C U M C Oh, uh, turning every t- everything into uh, feminine heroes. Right. Was this a box checking film? Uh, no, mostly because I think out of the story of bringing heroes together, there was a kind of a halfway decent kind of girl bonding that happens between these three heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, on the surface, that's their power sharing, but perfect example, uh, the the little girl that plays Miss Marvel, I thought she was great on screen, and that she is She was great good. In the, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, great in the sense that, like, I enjoyed her kind of fangirling over uh, Captain Marvel and being almost a MCU nerd inside yeah. uh, the movie. Watching some clips and not many, like not much, mm-hmm. she was reminding me of uh, Peter Parker's friend in the latest Spider-Man. Oh, okay. Like his, like his go-to yeah. best friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was getting like those kind of vibes. Sure, His sure. excitement and stuff like that. Exactly. So I think, I don't know, um, to uh, a lot of the hero roster being all females, I don't know. Let's see if actually something comes from a young Avengers idea uh, where all these uh, heroes are being put together. Right, right. Uh, I'll, I'll judge the idea when it's put together. Do I see a completely valid stance where people could be annoyed by that? Uh, absolutely. Especially if it's going to be dumped for Robert Downey Jr. returning or something, something soulless <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. It, 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 that's exactly what DC uh, in the Snyderverse uh, was dragged for, and and all dragged for it uh, as well. Is that they have all this buildup and it goes nowhere? Oh, of course. Oh, damn, uh, yeah. We'll return to it one more time in 2023 for Aquaman two. <laughs> that it means nothing. It means nothing if it's going to not build it towards anything. So I would definitely sling the same critique there. Is that I'm fine with all this um, feminine, you know, girl power energy. Uh, but it's got to do something with it, even if it's just make the products, you know, make right, the content, right. you know. So, <laughs> uh, folks, it's kind of a no duh at this point, but uh, this movie is bad in a way that is unique to phase four and five of the MCU. Uh, it gets lost somewhere in between trying to be different and manipulated to check as many boxes as possible for sequels and storylines. You know, I don't have a huge amount of notes on Brie Larson, but even Brie Larson's two-stage acting of eyes normal and eyes aglare. <laughs> I swear to God, her, her acting is only like looking like impossibly surprised and then just normal. Um, you told me this over the weekend and I said I think that and it literally was like oh my gosh that's her Nissan commercial when Nissan picked her up to do uh, to do ads same deal unreal unreal so uh, you know I will say though as much as I'm not not, like repping it once again really isn't the problem it's all writing here Uh, and it's further frustrated when characters like Kamala Khan uh, and her family work on screen. Um, you know, some people online are calling this worse than the previous floor for the MCU, which was the atrocity of Thor, Love, and Thunder. Uh, and while I don't agree with that, I also see 10 reasons why this doesn't escape the 30s. We're going to go ahead Woo! and give the Marvels a 37. 37 for the Marvels. Okay. And the funny thing about Brie Larson is... Mm-hmm. Like even I don't like I don't really like her much as an actress, mm-hmm. but I, I don't actively like hate her role in things. Oh, right. Like no. for instance, my, you're not irrational. Like a good portion of the internet right. is with her. <laughs> 
like my attacking biggest attacking her feet and whatnot. Like <laughs> right, it's, right. It's, it's unreal. Because I absolutely hate like my my latest absolute hate film mm-hmm. is <laughs> is the King Kong or King King, King Kong, Kong Skull Island. Yes, Kong Skull Island, and she's in it. Oh, but I can't right, say right. it's because of her her acting. That sure. everything about that film <laughs> is literally hot trash. <laughs> Um, just absolute garbage, wow. garbage, garbage. I, but, I, that, I think that's been your hate film for a minute, uh, actually, because I, I remember I, you bringing this up on a previous. Well, episode. I haven't been able to watch too much of like that garbage stuff. Some, you know, if I'm watching something, it's going to hopefully be podcast not, related. Yeah, yeah, you're also not seeking garbage. So. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, thirty-seven percent for the Marvels. <laughs> It'll be Marvels. interesting to see how much in the team. Do we keep for future movies? Yeah, because it's like like all the writers, this team. You know what mm, I mean? Mm, of, interesting. Of of different women voices. writers yeah. and trying to yeah. I like that in concept. Uh, in execution, right. it, it doesn't show. It right. shows uh, as a if anything, the most corporate Marvel product we've gotten in a while. For again, the the what it has to fill, what it has to set up. That surprises me. Yeah, because I thought if anything, this was going to have its own feel. Even I, if it's bad, like I feel like the Eternals have their own feel. Sure, in the worst, in the worst way, way imaginable. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that that movie came out full swing of the podcast. We just didn't cover. I, I, don't, I don't know what happened. The weeks went by. We blue beetled it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the or new we, term. we we eternalized blue beetle. Yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, thirty seven percent for the Marvels. Vin, let's keep it going. This is Netflix new release. Mm. It's, it's it's kind of a heavy hitter, even though it's not really like a big theater push because mm. it's David Fincher. Yeah. And it's David Fincher's The Killer. Mm -hmm. This is the one we watched together. Let's kind of get into it right away. You want to set it up and and we'll run with it. How was The Killer? Uh, Sure. Um, Well, actually, I have a question I want to toss to you on this one. So... Uh, obviously, I, I feel like it's it's perfectly fine to say that this is a legitimately a little bit of a boring movie. Intentionally so. It's in the, it's uh, intentionally trying to be very methodical and method driven in how it plays out. Uh, on the second rewatch or on the revised rewatch, yeah. Do you find that the boringness was actually a, a negative side of the movie, or um, you know, do you see it as uh, as what it's okay. going after? The most boringness part is mm-hmm. the first half of film. Okay. I think you would say, right? Uh, honestly, for me, it's it, Tilda's, Tilda Swinton is the mark of where no, I, I have uh, uh, <laughs> some bones to pick with. Okay, the movie. how I look at it is as far as the most boring, the least amount happening on screen yeah. is first half. Okay. I really like first half better than second half of film. Okay. Uh, reason being is not a lot can be going on screen, mm. but if you have me hooked a little bit or really paying attention, engaged, sitting on the edge of the seat a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love that first kind of opening 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Although boring, captivating. I, I was captivated and like sinking in with the character. Mm. And I think this is just how I've been over the past five years. I've been liking slower films more and more. Okay. And I've been liking kind of more boring stuff if the content's good. Sure. And that's the way I look at it. If you can keep a, stay awake. If I can stay awake. <laughs> and when did I fall asleep? About two-thirds of the way through. Yeah, yeah. I was, and actually for the Tilda Swinton Yeah, it was Tilda that did it. <laughs> You're so right. It was Tilda. It's so great. Um, uh, so I forget your question, but um, boring, I, I yes. Does boring pay off? No, because I don't think the movie pays off at all. Mm, okay. But I liked the boring the beginning boring what most people might be like this is I mean I think at one point you were like this is a slow movie I, I, I multiple I, times said that I was okay with it mm-hmm. it's actually when like the, the it was when the film started to get going mm-hmm. I started to lose interest interesting interesting yeah. I think I think that's telling uh, because uh, I, I'm, I'm I'm there with you I like I like yeah. the the concept of this a lot more than uh, than execution yeah and uh, we'll get into it more kind of how I, why I feel that way as well yeah, absolutely. because as that film progresses just certain things 
um, that I w- would have wished I went in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. And even when we were watching it, you had suggested, what if the film was this? Mm, yes. You know what I mean? And you were kind of hoping for something else. Though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, well, uh, folks, this is, I think, second, I want to say second time around with uh, David Fincher uh, and, and the pleasure of covering a new David Fincher film, uh, last being uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo American Remake uh, on our on our special that we did. Uh, we covered all the, the Millennium yes. Trilogy and... and the real bad one where she's <laughs> basically was. Batman. It's, it's <laughs> real bad. Uh, Which one, how many American ones did he do? The Daniel uh, Craig the ones, one. right? Yes, he did the one with Daniel Craig. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, just basically the remake of the first uh, in the trilogy. Yeah, yeah. So. Fincher is a very solid director, though, with a propensity for dark, moody, and even fucked up stories. Um, but his real genius is all behind the lens of the camera. Uh, I might have cracked a joke about it before, but his beginnings as a music video director pays off in striking visuals that often feel voyeuristic to his characters, uh, often feel like we're spying in on something, and almost as if we're being invited into a world and that strikes true with this new Netflix release as well. Who was – we talked about that before. There was a director you were kind of digging – on uh, music videos? Yeah. Uh, where he I, came from music videos. I think it might. I, I, that's what I was thinking of. It wasn't the Talk To Me director, was it? No, I don't think so. No, they were they were YouTube okay. uh, stars. It was um, something kind of recent because then I was just like, yes, Alton Brown came from music videos. <laughs> which is why Good Eats is so good, I'm sure. <laughs> Actually, uh, long long ago, uh, producer Jeremy, he's gonna have some bones about that with uh, what's that <laughs> with with Alton Brown. He, he, just he does. He, I love oh Alton. He's my love Alton. <laughs> <laughs> the the in fridge shot it goes down in cinematic history. <laughs> <laughs> oh man visuals and concepts though uh, have amazing execution here apparently Fincher has been wanting to make this film for more than a decade uh, I think in the best scenes of this film it shows why his movies are nearly all worth your time uh, just to kind of visually and how dark they are uh, the quiet methodical moments of Michael Fassbender echo so much of his work whether it be the cold and different cities we see in House of Cards or the must watch Zodiac on the site even creepy menace uh, that comes and oozes out of characters under their skin perfectly shown in the show- social network and Gone Girl of course um, uh, what would this be without the longtime partnership of uh, the dynamite duo of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross helming the soundtrack of so many of these films. I don't have uh, written down notes on the soundtrack just because... Yeah, it wasn't much of anything. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, The score is really toned back, and it's also kind of drowned it out as uh, an obsession with the Smiths, the mm-hmm. band the Smiths. Listening to this sound, this score in my note writing process, that is a really creepy score. Like when you just isolate it, yeah, okay. it, it sounds like they basically took like meat and bones in a plastic bag and just like squeezed it back and forth. Uh, it's it's a really industrial and and very. I mean, it's not like enjoyable to listen to per se. Uh, it's not going to be like a vinyl buy or something like right, that. But, right, right. Uh, it is mood setting. Yeah, it, it is a, a bold score work. Do you think it's a shame it's not utilized more? Because when you said score, I can't even. I can't oh, right. remember a lick. 
yeah. a single yeah. note yeah. <laughs> of uh, what uh, that sounded like. I, absolutely. I, I didn't notice it at all uh, on, on that watch. Again, if anything, I was I was ready to aim my sights on uh, it being a bad soundtrack just because of how this obsession with the Smiths uh, that the movie has. Right. Uh, but Tr- Trent Reznor and uh, who's Atticus Ross, they come, they're still young. Uh, no, they come from Nine Inch Nails. That's yeah. right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and constantly work with Fincher. Yeah, okay, um, all right. So something to know uh, if any, uh, if any, <laughs> I don't know if there are any uh, really score appreciators uh, 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 or, or listen to scores isolated uh, like I, I tend to do, but uh, really very interesting stuff. Unique, at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The killer is uh, able to capitalize on a lot of this just by its elevator pitch. Michael Fassbender plays uh, a nameless contract hitman that is meticulous in his craft, almost to the point of absurdity, and also also almost to the point that he kind of shoots himself in the foot. This uh, There is a lack of dialogue in the film, mostly to leave room for a heavy narration from Fassbender. We intimately understand his exact process of killing and the discipline it takes to pull his jobs off. This internal narrative is cynical, uh, filled with random statistics, and uh, most importantly, consistent over every scene. I mean, this is really, uh, if you're not digging this narration, I don't, guess what, it's the whole ride. Yeah, <laughs> the, the first whole... 10 minutes, if you're out in the first 10 minutes, yeah. you should stay out. Yeah. yeah, I would say my best uh, gauge is that if you were digging Fassbender in the Alien uh, sequels as the, the android, that maybe scratches a similar itch so as far as how this character mm-hmm. is, is yeah. portrayed as so robotic I think again if you enjoy uh, Chuck Palahniuk and, and his style of cynicism uh, such as his in Fincher's Baby's Fight Club uh, you'll be right at home here um, but that's where I want you to kind of have the goal markers that's where you gauge this film uh, as far as uh, if you're going to enjoy it or not mm-hmm. predictably the opening hit goes wrong the killer hunts down the handful involved with the this in a revenge-style story structure, which that's where I feel like it kind of let me down a little bit. This revenge stro- uh, story structure felt underwhelming uh, for how unique yeah. the film uh, feels at first and how bold the film feels at first. For all of his method, jobs in this film very, very rarely go smoothly, which intentionally contrasts what we hear from an increasingly unreliable narration. I need to give a fair warning that scenes are, again, methodical as a plus, but extremely slow. Uh, And granted, that slowness is absolutely the point of the experience, but uh, good old Tom's case, I put my boy to bed. (laughs) Good, good, good. Let's be honest. Finn filled me with seafood, okay? (laughs) Yeah, we had a very gluttonous uh, gluttonous meal beforehand uh, after after some work on 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 the podcast. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's tough because I feel like uh, the pacing of this is going to lose some people that aren't engaged. Oh, it's definitely going to lose some people. Exactly. Your yeah. point on underwhelming. If I, I'll jump off sure. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your point on underwhelming. It's it's. I think it's a a thing of you, we expect more from the mm. caliber of director actor mm, and, yep. and and writing. It seems like source material is kind of cool. It's coming from a graphic novel. It's also underwhelming because revengeful hitmen or mm-hmm. just like emotionless, tactful hitmen. We've sh- we've sure been doing this a lot lately. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't feel as fresh. It doesn't feel as unique. I think the first twenty minutes of the film, ten years ago, fifteen mm-hmm. years ago, this film would be being talked about. Yeah, I think a lot more because it's it, and it's still cool. It still hits a little sure, bit. Sure. Yeah. But it's a little played out right mm-hmm. now because we've been seeing it. So it just doesn't have a punch where maybe 
it could in a different era mm. for film. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to it, when you keep on just sitting there and watching and it's slow and narration and mm-hmm. slow and narration, the payoff just isn't there. Mm. It's a total feeling of this is this is underwhelming. Mm. And you were feeling it the whole time. I was feeling it the whole time. Yeah. My biggest thing was I wanted again the really slow when we're just with Fastbender and there's not much going on. Mm-hmm. I don't I wanted him to stay complete robotic, complete emotionless, out of touch with just everyone and everything. Mm-hmm. The more the film goes, the more he has he does listen to the Smiths. Yeah. You know what I mean? He does use earpods. Yeah. He does have other things and relationships or might actually care about things here or there. Yeah. I didn't want any of that. Sure. You didn't want to see the humanity in the character. Exactly. Like, yeah. Because there's too much of that. We get mm-hmm. it. And it would have just nice to be seeing almost a day in the life almost. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And we're kind of set up with quite a generic plot as far as this whole revenge thing goes or trying to figure out or breaking down the barriers yeah yeah for fincher it just it totally feels like a netflix movie mm-hmm. i think just with it being fincher you hope for more yeah and i think uh th- there's a degree that the him showing some humanity making this kind of a personal revenge and breaking from the method yeah uh i feel like it without that it, it does kind of beg the question, well, what's the movie go- where's the movie going to go? What's his arc as a character? Yeah. Uh, but I feel like by making this his fault or the, that's the salt and pepper to the character, I feel it now shifts this movie side by side with a lot more generic uh, revenge stories, a lot more generic oh action God. films, which yeah. it does not deserve to be next to. There's too much love and and style put into this to put these next to some of the comparisons that come to mind when you really just feel how the revenge story plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, so. and I think it could have went in its own lane, yeah. had it kind of done its own thing, yeah. and yeah. not attached itself to this story that we've done so many times. Yeah. I will say that there's one pretty good action fight scene. Mm. I watched that again. I really quite like that scene. Oh, yeah, it's a good fight scene. One of the weirdest moments I've had in a film lately where somebody talks in a scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you and I both. <laughs> somebody talks in a scene. It sounds out of place. It sounds like literally somebody hacked into the Netflix feed. <laughs> it was like on their and own. overdubbed Yes. It. Yeah. Because you and I, this person says a very just small line, and, yeah. and Vin and I just ears perked up, and we're yes. like, "What was this what, in the movie? Yeah. What's going on?" Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was very funny. Yeah, it really did feel like it was making up for something. I don't, I don't know what it <laughs> <I> was. <know. laughs> uh, the guy that Fastbender is fighting, what does he even say? He was, he's just, "Are you, are you the guy from Costa Rica, <laughs> or something, <laughs> something like that?" But it doesn't like this, sound like, like this big fog was like expecting his Airbnb host. Right. Right? He sounds like, like a nerd. Doesn't out of breath. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fun fact, by the way, the guy he gets into a big fight with. Yeah. Uh, he would. He played Sauron in the original Lord of the Rings. No way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, I, mean, I guess he's got the stature. Um, that's, that's huge. But yeah, just. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's that. We can yeah. leave that there. But, yeah, it is a sign, yeah. <laughs> but overall, I just think because we set up a character in a certain way, it just could have picked a different lane mm. and it'd be a little bit more fresh. Yeah. You know, while I was watching this, I couldn't help but look at this and uh, see it's, you know, basically in concept, slow pacing in exchange for atmosphere. Uh, and think of something uh, from Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, like uh, 2011's Drive, uh, that it's a lot of style. Mm. It doesn't really have a lot of substance to it. And I feel like it, this costs the film 
a lot of what I feel is weak about it, which is in supporting characters, which is in writing a little bit. You know, writing and story here is where I feel the film is at its weakest. And I honestly question why we needed three writers on this at all, no less being it based off of the um, uh, the graphic novel, no less one of the writers being the guy that wrote Seven, so uh, uh, reuniting with, uh, with Fincher. Oh, really? Yeah. So I had only, I had a three, the credits had three people writing. Yeah. One of them was the graphic novel. Yep. Okay. One of them was the illustrator for the graphic novel. Oh. So there's really, really? only one guy doing the screenplay, oh. and, this, and that's the seven guy. Okay. All right. Then, then, then that's my bad. Right. Um, but uh, still, not delivering as far as I, like a seven delivers. Yeah. Exactly. I. I, I think it, when I was looking at this, I just wanted more out of. Uh, the characters, the characters yeah. spoke in a way that it felt amateur. It felt like a first draft type of thing, and maybe that's just the simplicity that came with the the graphic novel. Yeah. But um, look no further, folks, than that Tilda Swinton uh, sequence uh, on screen with Fassbender, and you can just hear how messy and first draft it all comes off of. I feel like her writing and writings for supporting characters across the board just did not get the love that Fassbender gets in in, in this role of the killer, and I feel like this comic pounds which with again slight slips and slight little generic beats that make this just kind of a ren story and rob a, a film that is very unique and and had a, a lot more potential i feel like mm-hmm. uh, I, you know i have no problem with the rule of cool it's gunning for uh, you know, everything surrounding uh, the, his hitman life is, uh, you know, it has such conceptual style that kept my attention. Contract re- requests being handled in a Rolodex. He has a storage unit of assassination packs that he basically meal preps, which was which was great. You know, where this slips into a little bit of substance is uh, the stylistic real corporate branding everywhere. I was ready. To be like, what is this? What is this, Sonic 2? What is yeah, this? <laughs> yeah. There's, there's uh, something purposeful about it. Yeah, there, there's absolutely something purposeful about that branding. And I think without a doubt, um, you know, while my early thoughts watching this film were negative marks, slowly this barrage of brands kind of gives context to why our character here abandons his method why we maybe even slip into the more emotionally driven revenge plot uh context for how uh this machine of a man uh falls short a little bit uh, with that said we're going to go ahead and give the killer a 68 oh wow okay the 68 is higher than i thought it was gonna really be. oh yeah yeah honestly yeah. this uh I, I really was debating cracking the 70s with this really but, uh yeah but i i, I gotta be, i gotta be honest i too was a little bored you know what i mean wow, I okay too, <laughs> i wasn't you know not an off I'll, but uh, i'll say this you enjoyed it more than i thought then. sure yeah. Yeah. yeah i have I'll, I'll make a couple just one note kind of that i have yeah i because I, I had another review too about the style of the film sure i understand it was shot pretty well and everything like that mm-hmm. i didn't I didn't love the style of the film. Really? Oh, and right away, I was side-eyeing from the opening credits. Opening opening credits, uh-huh. in my opinion, was like, okay, this is great, great in 2008. <laughs> and from there, I'm just saying, it's coming from a French graphic novel. Uh-huh. Give us some cool visuals or stylistic shots that give a nod to the graphic novel. To oh, the specific okay. style Interesting. of the text. I mean, like I said, the illustrator mm. is... 
noted as a writer for for the film. Mm. It would have been nice to get some something of that. You know, it doesn't need to be as much as Watchmen or something. Right, right. But or Sin City years. Yeah, yeah. Give a nod a little bit more. Sure. I thought actually it was a little bit tame. Interesting. So I was, um, I had this film lower when I had originally okay. watched it, okay. sitting on a little bit and thinking about it. Right. It did. It, it, it was getting that weird. Okay, what do I give this? It's right around fifty percent type mm, of deal. Okay, okay. That's like a one shoe, one lace type thing. Yeah. This gets a very this gets two shoes, no laces, um, no polish. <laughs> Your either. new favorite yeah. rating. <laughs> uh, yeah, just two shoes, and it's really something. Throw it on because it's a new Fincher film. Mm. But don't expect any bells and whistles. Sure, sure. And I think, uh, you know, why I even gave so many comparisons to Fincher's work in the beginning is because if any of those hit for you, I feel like this does have the potential to hit for you because um, it feels... Like Fincher. Yeah, with, without a doubt. The expanse of a story, though, the plot, don't expect anything like a Gone yeah. Girl, though. No, no, yeah. You know, uh, much smaller film. yeah. Especially with twists and turns and whatnot. I feel like there's something there with, with again, the corporate branding and whatnot. Um, I feel like the corporate branding, because, folks, you'll notice it. Oh, like, yeah. why are the brands being shown so much? Yeah. I think it's not an Adam Sandler movie. I think it's also a thing of you have this very accomplished killer, mm. and it, it's it's something about even everyday items mm. are part of the arsenal. Yeah. Or even, like, a for a massive contract killer. Sure. It's all part of the method. Uh, I also feel like the way he eats McDonald's just to make sure he gets some sort of protein for the day. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something connecting him to Earth again. It's Mm. it's everything's usable. You know, he he doesn't make things complicated, Mm -hmm. and I think that's shown a little bit through just getting everyday items or picking something Mm. up on Amazon. Yeah, you know, it's not complicated here. Yeah, and his distance until he basically loses his cool a little bit, which I feel like is the the slope of the film. Him slowly leaving that method, slowly leaving his distance. Discipline. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, real quick on the Tilden Swinton, too. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. They, you had a big bugaboo with her in the, in the film a little <gasps> bit. Just, she tells a story. Yeah. Right? And not only did you think this story was overwhelming, uh, doing research on the film, yeah. apparently that same story, like that uh-huh. badass, you know, yeah, we're yeah, going yeah. to do a little dialogue here, that same story was just used in like The Crown. No like, way. One of the really? biggest shows on Netflix. Wow. They didn't like pull it directly from the graphic novel. Uh, I, I, I doubt I it. expected it's a some of the spotting story. I yeah, mean. yeah, yeah. You're right. <laughs> I was just watching that. I was just like, this feels like a college script, you know. I mean, it, it was it's weird. Trying it was to be weird. Too cool. You know, the cool kind of failed in a way at that point. Yeah. Uh, but well, yeah, that's that's yeah. the most. I think that's the most anyone will or ever need to spend on this film. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think our conversation was just more interesting than the film itself. <laughs> Are you the Costa Rican? I mean, it was so out of place. I gotta watch it again. I can't believe we actually just—I I didn't go back and, and rewind it. It's, it's, it was—it was really our jarring. ears perked up. We looked at each other. We did a triple take. Um, alrighty, folks. Let's go on to our last film here. Running long. I don't know. We are running good long chats. today. Yeah, no, this is good. Um, I'm not sure if a lot of people know about this. It's not. It's you know. This isn't supposed to be a big blockbuster hit. Yeah, no. It's in more limited theaters, but this is coming from a very big. Indie director yeah. and one who's uh, known for his quality of work, his quality yeah. of script writing as well. Yeah. Uh, this film is called The Holdovers. It has uh, one of our favorite Paul Giamatti's yeah. in it. Yeah. It's uh, two hours and 13 minutes, so it's a little bit lengthy from him. We've definitely covered Alexander Payne before, mm-hmm. but it's Alexander Payne's The Holdovers. Vin, how'd you enjoy it? Uh, well, I gotta say, uh, this definitely gets the crown for this week, and uh, I really didn't think it was gonna have anything to it. I thought it was gonna be just kind of blandly acceptable. This had one of the oddest trailers I've seen in a while, spitting in the face of um, 
I guess uh, what I'll title the dramatic rock song trend that has taken over every single trailer. I mean, they're going to run out of pop and rock songs <laughs> yeah. to, to cinematically, uh, you know, Hans Zimmerfy for the trailers here. Uh, and my interest peaked only because I saw it was directed by Alexander Payne, a name I first encountered on the podcast uh, with you all, with the great uh, Wino movie uh, Sideways. <laughs> I don't know if Wino is a slur or not, but it's what's in the notes. Here we have a reuniting with Paul Giamatti as well, uh, so it really did seem ripe to cover for the episode, and uh, boy, was I happy uh, I did, because I, I think this was such a good film, such a great film, that it really just gets really? a blanket recommendation from me. Oh, I feel fantastic. like this works for everyone, but not like in a way that is just like, oh, it's, it's inoffensive. It really works uh, for what it's going for, uh, and, and a really great movie, one of the strongest of the year, for okay. sure. Before we get into it, yeah, I'll touch on the trailer a little bit. I, I felt like it was a very safe trailer, although mm. it was a bit long. Cause that's yeah, just it's how... trying to be like this retro 70s thing, which uh, bleeds I, a little bit. But I film. was okay with it. I felt like it was almost a Paul Thomas Anderson trailer. For sure. He's, uh, def- that... he's giving you something, but don't worry. He's not giving you the whole thing yeah. at all. Yeah. And I like that. I have a, I've, I've done some research on Alexander Payne since oh, really? you've done Sideways. Oh, yeah? And I just I really have respect for the guy. He really cares about his work. Oh, that's great. It seems like he's very good at it, and he has a feel for his material and who should be portraying it as well mm. like when you look at the list of some people he was thinking about for sideways mm-hmm. and then when the actors he ended up going with yeah, yeah. no one would make bets on those actors <laughs> and yet it was nominated for oscars you know yeah. and the screenplay is very well high regarded yeah yeah and it's kind of got this huge cult following behind it so yeah. i was happy to see him once again with paul giamatti going after it mm. and i knew it was going to be something probably special yeah especially if he's doing this kind of reuniting thing yeah uh, well then absolutely for you specifically Make time to watch this. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, obviously the distribution of it is a little slim. I forget if we commented on it already, but similar to Dream Scenario, uh, which we mentioned uh, as a, another good trailer, closest theater was like 50, 50 miles away. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, hopefully the holdover state, it, it's in about 780 theaters right now. Okay. So hopefully there's one within a half an hour of you, mm. but I think that's going to start to shrink pretty quick. Yeah. 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 So, but absolutely worth checking out, coming to streaming. Uh, and, uh, and again, uh, uh, a full blanket recommendation, folks. Uh, this is a story set in an old school Christian boys' academy, boarding school, however you want to word it, where uh, the many students are sharp as attack mentally, but could not be farther from worrying about their grades as Christmas break looms over them. The holdovers in this uh, are uh, five unlucky boys, with the newcomer actor Dominic Sessa uh, as the standout, Paul Giamatti playing an uptight history professor and divine joy randolph running the cafeteria i cannot praise these three main acting performances enough so much was layered into their characters that was again so enjoyable to unpack in an equally realistic and dramatic way i feel like as far as screenplays goes and as far as actors capturing those screenplays right, and right. bringing it to life. This is dynamite. Dynamite. Okay. Really great. A lot how you felt about Sideways then. Yeah. I want to make a distinction too because sure. I didn't do that. The Holdovers is not written by him. Oh, right. By right. Alexander Payne. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And I don't think he is a writer-director normally. Uh, I, I don't have the, his uh, his work off yeah, the top he's a little, of Yeah, he's a little all over the place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Exactly. For instance, he wrote uh, I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry. <laughs> I believe. <laughs> 
you know. <laughs> and folks, we would like to announce the next comedy writing study. <laughs> yeah. So as far as these three main focal points, though, you know, despite each of them having a glare of regret, uh, having to spend the holidays with each other, all of them are flawed in some way and again add to such enjoyment to actually unpacking these character these characters um giamatti is a loner shut in and you know stuck impossibly far into his own head this is kind of flared into how he deals with that loneliness loneliness maybe he drinks a little bit too much dominic sessa is a sharp-witted uh, young boy but gets into trouble and seemingly is abandoned by his mother by the the action speaking louder than words uh, on him being one of the holdovers and Divine is uh, grieving over her son passing away in the war, but won't let anyone even relatively close to ease her pain. Even beyond our main three, all characters in this have just such wonderful depth explored in these days stuck together. Uh, it is the type of film that you walk away from not only feeling good because mm. it's trying to tell somewhat of an optimistic story, but enriched by it because of how much depth there were in literally every character on screen. I don't feel like anyone is a token character and a stereotype. Most importantly, the depth there is worth your time. See, one thing that's good about that and kind of, I think, rare a little bit, mm -hmm. it's because so much when you might walk away from something with that, oh, that was a feel-good movie, mm. uh, you don't expect much from it. Sure, in it's fact, inconsequential. It's, it's not vapid, but... but Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a just... Yeah, or like a, you watch like a Disney family, or maybe, maybe the, the big umbrella is a family movie. Uh, feel-good right. family movie, uh, that isn't something that it, is usually quality, you know, associated with it. Right, right. It's not It's not overwhelmingly engaging. Yeah, it's, yeah. You don't have depth. You're not, you know, usually the characters or actors are not as thought out like you would from a great drama or something like that. Sure. But that's great that coming away from this, it's not only a feel-good film, but it's a feel-good because of the depth yeah. of the characters, like Absolutely. you just said. That's, that's cool. Absolutely. Uh, and I think on that note, you know, this, this setup uh, as a... You know, heavy Christmas spin it might not sound too different than your average holiday family film, but in execution shines much, much brighter and shocked me how good it was. Uh, much like we covered with 2004 Sideways, uh, the script refuses to hold back any intellect. You know, if only with Giamatti's character, this has a deep academic uh, spin to the film, uh, shown in dialogue, but also how highbrow some jokes are. An early note I had as a negative mark was that if uh, there was going to be an eye roll uh, of uh, characters being so in academia and so kind of highbrow, that would mirror the experience of uh, the film, of the, uh, the viewer of the film, uh, that they would be rolling their eyes yeah. at, uh, at some of the script Glazing work. over a little bit. Exactly. That would be too like all right, you know who you know who's this for? It's four professors or something like that. <laughs> um, luckily, that is not the case here, as the film is just so witty and smart in unexpected ways, uh, and again, much like Sideways, is smart enough to poke fun at itself in its own intellect. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually something. Uh, returning back to Sideways in that review is something I wish I stressed a little bit more, because for how as much of a aficionado type of spin to the film there is, 
it is kind of self-deprecating, oddly enough. Oh, um, big time, yeah. Yeah, it's trying to it's trying to kind of make a joke about how ridiculous all of this is. And uh, very similarly, we have a we have a good good similar concept. Let's see audience in on it. Exactly. Yeah, I think this is best showed in uh, how the puzzles of their lives unfold, which adds. Uh, which no, I'm sorry. Which avoids tacky camp or cliche that could so easily slip this experience into a schmaltzy throwaway Christmas movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, just another Christmas movie. Where until this point, I would not describe this as a Christmas movie. This is something you know unique and 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 stand out for that reason. It's not defied by you know uh, its setting or anything like that. Okay, I'm glad the '70s throwback style was more than just having a fun time in the in the time period. Um, um, turns out the trailer was was more telling than I thought. Not only does this fuel a wandering but not lost folky soundtrack uh, that would be appropriate for the 70s, uh, it does play into substance in the story as well. And, and uh, I don't want to go into too much for spoilers there, but um, uh, it's it's... For me, scratching an itch that I always want style to be paired with substance. You know, this wasn't just being set in the 70s for the sake of it. Okay. Above all, folks, performances are why this is a watch. Uh, Giamatti and, uh, as well, Randolph are both pretty great in this. Especially them together, their banter as, I mean, just two polar opposites uh, walks of life is what makes um, moments in this film actually feel very breezy and, and snappy as far as dialogue back and forth, the volley of them back and forth. But all, and I mean all of the praise, goes to Dominic Sessa as uh, a first-time acting role for this kid. Uh, and really? And downright excellent. I, I, I was stunned. Um, I... I I looked at the IMBD just to make sure again and again he has no other credits to his name. I don't know maybe wow, if he had, it was in uh, you know Broadway or something like that. Uh, wow. Amazing, such a good performance on so many levels, and his delivery of the script again, his ability to take an already real sharp screenplay yeah. and do more with it um, is flawless. How old is the character? Is he portraying? Uh, he's supposed to be portraying like a definitely high school age, but I feel like the character said at one point that they were held back a little bit. Again, they're misfit okay, uh, okay. type of thing. That good. I mean, I'd love hearing that. Yeah. Right he away. Was, he was great. Do you um, think this is, I don't know why, I don't know why PTA is on my mind when it comes yeah, to this film a little bit, but what do you think about Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid? I, it, surprising we haven't seen him in anything else. Right. I don't know. But he was thought, dynamite in, yeah. in Licorice Pizza. Yeah. Uh, I think, if anything, one of the best parts with Licorice Pizza. Uh, here, Sessa's on a whole nother level. Uh, really? This is, this, is, this is Oscar nom all the way. On, in oh, already like a, a very competitive year, this we, would be a snub that I would actually be upset about. Is uh, he Now, is he supporting or that's Maine. tough to say. Okay. I, I, I would argue Maine. I feel like there's a, a a very easy way to see this as an ensemble cast, and all three are leads. So um, you oh, know, uh. semantics as far as uh, you know how what, what what category he gets nominated. He needs to get some sort of recognition though, because this performance cannot be slept on. If, it's amazing. If he was nominated for best supporting, mm-hmm. his chances of of winning would would skyrocket probably. Yeah, one because he's not going up against. A Leo or 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 De Niro, and you know, and um, uh, wow, Murphy struggling for Murphy. Who, what do we mean? Uh, Killian Murphy. Yes, yes, yeah. so, exactly. But the biggest thing is if they're shared that much on time. We talked about this mm, on Killers. Yeah, yeah. When you have that much screen time, yeah, and considered uh, supporting. Sure. But 
I can't wait to see this. Yeah, I just think the fact that he's able to keep up with all the witty intellect that uh, Payne has to offer no less stands out as the best among these other actors. That's crazy. Uh, I mean, Paul Giamatti is a a heavy hitter. Exactly. So, uh, again, it might be bold to say in such a competition-heavy year uh, that uh, he deserves a win, per se. I think that's very hard to say. But absolutely deserves some sort of nomination or recognition uh, because, again, this is a first time role and i can't wait to see him and cool. whatever comes next so well i hope he gets a call so i hope he's not yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah. well I, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hope he's not ray romano i think ray romano's got enough calls he's, he's he needs more <laughs> i don't want to see ice age five or six i thought you were it's gonna too many <laughs> so that's a good five slot yeah, <laughs> yeah there it is. Always, always thinking of ideas uh, i thought you were gonna say like uh philip seymour hoffman's kid <laughs> Because <laughs> he's clearly not <laughs> no re remodel. <laughs> but yeah, uh, folks, a seriously good movie, uh, top to bottom. Uh, I could go honestly on and on about little choices in the edit and the cinematography, but on, on a long episode already, I think it's actually best to experience how it helps the story unfold. It's not just concept, it's execution. And like I opened up with a blanket recommendation from me for one of the strongest films of the year, we're going to go ahead and give The Holdovers an 82. Wow. 80, whew, okay, 82% for The yeah. Holdovers. Real good. And Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. You finally like the, all the, all the, we had that five Christmas movies last <laughs> the year. The action movie special, yeah. We were just waiting for this one. 82% <laughs> for The Holdovers, so... We talked about it. It's it's hopefully this coming weekend. It's still in a theater near yeah, you. Yeah. After that, I think it might be dropping off. But maybe that's the best thing because it is it is a very much a Christmas movie. Maybe by the time it hits streaming, that's that's ripe for actually watching it within I, season. I feel like they might be timing it for that. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? A quick theater run and then quick to streaming. Sure. Uh, which, for what it's worth, I don't even know if the Oscars have those um, uh, qualifications that it has to be in theater or anything like that anymore. Yeah, Oscars, yeah, two weeks in theaters. Okay, it's still there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because this is not a big streaming thing. So, if, for instance, even like Killers of the Flower Moon, make mm. sure it's in theaters. And Despite even, even going the, to Apple. Even yeah. the Killer might have had a two-week run. Oh, really? Because oftentimes it'll be in theaters for two weeks, then come to the, Interesting. To the streaming platform. Interesting. But this, because it's a smaller, more indie movie, yep. that's why everything just might happen quicker. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, okay, Finn, all right, X80. 2% for the holdovers. Uh, can't wait. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. So uh, looking at all these films here, anything you want to touch on? Roll credits? Uh, like stuff I said, for the future. A dream scenario added to the growing list of a catch-up episode. I honestly don't know if we're going to have time for a catch-up episode because December looks insane. Yeah. Uh, well, it might insane. Be a, might be how everything just got pushed and pushed and pushed. Yeah. So yeah, maybe we, you know, January is going to be slow. I think that first week in January we like to do as a catch-up episode yeah. because second week in January or something like that, that's yeah. when we do the Tom Daly's. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, uh, Vin, thank you so much for watching these films. Thanks for stopping by here this evening. Uh, folks at home, we'll run it down one more time. We have Funny People with a 57%, Captain Marvel with the 54 uh, The Marvels with the 37 the Killer with a 68, and The Holdovers with an 82%. Folks, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. <laughs> Hey, if you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth the watch or if you'd just like to see more movies from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. 
you can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great, folks, but we want to be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.